So I have photo evidence of the illustration I'm going to share, but I chose not to do it for the sake of my kids. So when my kids were little, the very first time they tasted chocolate, it was love at first taste. As you can imagine, I think they got that from me. But anything chocolate was a treat, and it would be really easy to give them treats because one M&M was like amazing, mind-blowing for them. But they discovered as as they were toddlers that I kept chocolate in the pantry, and not even necessarily the good stuff. This was like cooking chocolate. But to a toddler, they have no idea chocolate is chocolate. So one of my kids one day decided to open the pantry doors up, pull up a chair, stand on the chair, reach up with their little toddler arms to grab the container which had the cooking chocolate in it. I thought this container was on a shelf totally high enough out of their reach. Clearly not, because they sat down on the chair and were scoffing their face with chocolate smearing it everywhere as a, as a toddler will do. So I came back into the kitchen after being down the back of the house doing, I can't even remember what I was doing, I was down the back of the house, walked into the kitchen and sprung them sitting there, smeared with chocolate, absolutely caught red-handed. kind of don't blame them, I would have done the same thing. But they knew as kids they weren't allowed to do that. I wasn't there, so sneaky. I don't know if you would do that kind of thing, if you did that kind of thing when you were little. They didn't do it when I was in the room. They knew it wasn't allowed, but it was on for young and old when there was no supervision. So human behaviour changes as we get older. We're different. But when no one is looking, even when we're adults, we can kind of sometimes be a little bit sneaky. You can be even on your best behaviour when you have a guest come over, when you're in the presence of your boss or a teacher or someone important. You're acting your best. You're on your best behaviour. But as soon as they leave the building, you leave the building, or they just are at a distance, you kind of revert back to what's comfortable. You think, they're gone, I can just act the way I always act. And maybe we're doing things that are okay, or maybe we're doing things that are a little bit sneaky that we know we shouldn't do because we don't want to get caught. We want to be on our best behaviour in front of the people that we like, that are important to us, or even have authority over us. But being in that situation where we're on our best behaviour, it takes a lot of energy. So I don't know if you you have guests over and when they leave, you kind of just say, and you go back to your comfortable state. Well, I'm pretty sure that Paul understood this human behaviour, this human characteristic, that kind of good behaviour that we do when we're around people because he kind of starts off this section in the book of Philippians chapter 2 talking about that. He says, Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, Dear friends... You always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. So it's almost like I imagine talking to my kids, saying to them, you know that when I'm here, you are not allowed to sneak chocolate, and don't do it when I leave the room. It's like Paul saying to these Philippians, now kids, I've been with you, I've walked with you, don't revert back to your old ways. It's easy to revert back to what you've always known, but keep going. Keep following Jesus. Keep walking in his footsteps. It's more important now than ever. Keep walking the good path. I've showed you. I've shown you how to do it. I've walked it with you. You know what is right and wrong. You have the Holy Spirit living in you to help you walk this walk. Keep going. Keep keep participating with Jesus in this. Don't go back to what you've always done. 
Let's read the rest of the verse. So Philippians 2.12, he says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Keep following Jesus. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. So what does that mean? Because if you've been in church for a long time, you know, you've heard, we talk about it all the time, that salvation is a free gift. So what is Paul saying when he's saying, work hard to show the results of your salvation? Now, Paul's not talking about here things that we can do to earn God's favor, things that we can do to earn God's salvation. That's not what he's saying here because we cannot earn our way into heaven. Because, and even if he was saying that, it would contradict what Jesus said that salvation is, a free gift, an act of grace. He's, he would contradict what is written in other letters. Our salvation is complete when we trust in Jesus. It's a free gift. We can't earn our way into heaven. We trust, accept it. We trust that Jesus is Lord. We trust that God is in control. The hard work of showing the results of our salvation, Paul is talking about the work of transformation in my life, in your life. The work of transformation is seeing the evidence of what God is doing on the inside as he shows his freedom, his forgiveness, as he walks with you, as he transforms you in this daily step-by-step journey through life. And Jesus promises us to partner with us as we take that step-by-step process, as we journey with him, as we work to transform our lives. Remember, if we go back to Philippians 1, this is one of my favorite verses, verse 6. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He isn't leaving us to figure out this transformation work on our own. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He's partnering with us. But this takes intentionality. It takes willingness on our path to actually do that hard work. That's what Paul is saying. Do the hard work to show the results of our salvation. Now, if you're like me, when you hear the word work, it conjures up all of these images, these adjectives in your mind, things like work is hard, work is difficult, work is tiring, it's exhausting. Do I actually want to do work? Do I want to go to work? It's boring, it's exhausting. Why should I do work? Why should I work at my um, transformation my show, to show the results of my salvation? This sounds hard. This sounds exhausting. But Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, Come to me if you are tired and weary. I will give you rest. My burden for you is light. This work of our transformation is not burdensome work. This work gives us freedom and gives us life and life to the full. And this is the partnership that we're talking about with Jesus, and it can take time. It's us and him, but it's also us, him, and the body of Christ with us. Sometimes we need other people to walk with us on that journey. Sometimes we need professionals like counsellors and healthcare workers as we work with Jesus to transform our lives. It's working with Jesus to break those chains, those bondages, those addictions, those things that are harming us and hurting us. It's doing the work of salvation, partnering with people to change our thinking patterns. 
and to heal from things like trauma and pain. Because God will complete the work that he started in us. That's exciting. This is the work of salvation. This is our transformation. Now, the habits you probably think of when you think about spiritual disciplines in kind of working towards that transformation, the first things that probably come to mind are even what we talked about in the interview this morning, reading the Bible, praying. Now, these spiritual habits, these spiritual disciplines, as you know, are designed, God designed them so we draw closer to him, so we have a deep relationship with him, to be open to what God wants to do, to lean into him. But how often does it feel like a burden to do that, to read, to pray? How often does it feel like hard work? Praying doesn't have to be a chore. Seeking God doesn't have to be tiresome. Reading the Bible doesn't have to be burdensome. So what needs to change so it doesn't feel like that, so it doesn't appear like that in your life? Because these things are supposed to bring us closer to Jesus, not further away. Do you need to change the way you pray? Do you need to change the way you read the Bible? And for some of us here, that could even just be a simple thing like a mental attitude shift, a change of what the way we think about this working to show the results of our salvation, working to show our transformation. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term self-fulfilling prophecy. So this is different from a prophecy we see in the Bible or different from the Holy Spirit speaking in you to give you an encouraging message for someone. This is different. A self-fulfilling prophecy is a belief or expectation. It could be correct. It could be incorrect. That, you, that can bring out a desired outcome, an expected outcome. So that means that you have this assumption. You believe something and you repeat it over and over in your mind. It's like this loop that goes over and over. Just say, like, I'm not going to trip down the steps. And I'm so focusing on not tripping down the steps. I'm not actually looking at the steps, so I trip. It's just this loop that goes over and over in our brain and tells us an expected outcome. May or may not be true. And because we're repeating it over, we're reinforcing that belief and we start believing it. So telling ourselves that... Our transformation work, showing the results of our salvation is hard, it's boring, it's burdensome. You're probably going to believe it. You'll probably always find reasons why it's going to be tiring, exhausting, why you don't have time for it, why you don't really want to do it. It's reinforcing that thing over and over your mind. You'll believe that expectation. So what if this week, if the one thing you did this week was change the way you think. So instead of, I have to read the Bible today, what about, I get to read the Bible today? I get to pray today. I get to transform my life with partnering with Jesus. I get to partner with Jesus and maybe even my counsellor or some other healthcare professional to help me break free, to help Jesus and me as we work towards salvation, to change I get to see what God is showing me. I get to. It's exciting. We're partnering with Jesus. He wants to speak to us. He wants to grow us. He wants to transform us. It is a privilege. I get to. I get to do these things. I get to listen to God. I get to hear from God. Have the expectation that God is going to transform you, that he is going to speak to you. 
Now, if we do struggle with praying and reading the Bible, change it up. Prayer doesn't have to be sitting. Reading the Bible doesn't have to be at a table with um, study books all around you. You can pray walking. The YouVersion Bible app can read the Bible to you. Try different things. Change your attitude. It takes intentionality and it takes being aware of your thoughts and capturing those kind of self-fulfilling things that you are, or maybe the lies you are telling yourself. Capture them and change them. Give them to God and say, God, help me change this because I want to say I get to. I get to partner with you, Jesus. Because Paul goes on to say in verse 13, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, I know in my life, if I'm really struggling with that, I have to. I often pray that, God, give me back that desire. You're in me, working in me. Just give me back that desire so I get to. Ask God, because he's in you, working in you. Now, the reason Paul is encouraging these Philippians to work at the salvation in your life, to transform and walk in the way of Jesus, because he's talking about what happens inside us will ultimately flow out of us. As we allow Jesus to work in us, people around us will see what is different. They'll see Jesus working. He goes on to say in verse 14, Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share in that joy. I love that bit where Paul says, hold firmly to the word of life. Now, when Paul actually says, hold firmly to the word of life here, he's not talking about the Bible, the text. Now, the Philippians didn't have the Bible like we have it. He's actually talking about Jesus and what Jesus said. Hold firmly to Jesus. Hold firmly to what Jesus has said. Because the Bible technically isn't the word of life. God the Father, Jesus the Son, they are the word of life. It says in 1 John 1, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Jesus is the word of life. Hold on to Jesus. Because on this journey of transformation, he is our hope, our word, our life. And while we're doing that, don't complain and argue. Now, this complaining and arguing, Paul was referring straight directly back to the Old Testament, and the Philippians would have understood that, to the time when the Israelites had just gone, or God had taken them out of slavery in Egypt, and they were in the desert, and they were grumbling and complaining about everything. They had witnessed miracle after miracle. God was providing food and water for them, and yet they complained. They grumbled. Everything was negative. They forgot the big picture of what God was doing in their lives. They forgot what God had done and they forgot what God had promised, that he was leading them to their forever home and that they were going to be a light shining to the, to the world. Now, you might be thinking, Christians don't ever grumble. Christians don't ever complain. What are you talking about? Well, we know that's not true. But you might be thinking, 
how often in my own life, when God is working, when I see him working through people, through circumstances, even through the miraculous, I grumble, I complain. Because the outcomes aren't like I pictured they should be. I prayed, God kind of answered in a weird way, and I still grumble because it's not what I expected the outcome to look like. It's not what I wanted to happen, so I grumble and complain. Even in my life, it clearly, if God did 10 amazing, miraculous things, and then one thing turned out not quite right, I'll pick the one thing and I'll talk about that because that just seems to be what I do. We're all guilty of it. I am. Now, for whatever reason, humans just seem to focus on the negative. We dwell on it, we rehash it, we talk about it. And I'm pretty sure if you guys are talking or if you've been in conversations about your day or someone else's day, the first thing that people will say or the first thing you'll say is what negative thing happened. This is actually a psychological thing called the negative bias. And we do that because negative emotions generally take more thinking and more processing to kind of uh, come to terms with and to work through. And there are usually more descriptive words to talk about negative things like bad emotions, bad thoughts, bad memories and bad feedback than there are the good things. So we have this negative bias because we need to process it. But then it seems to be the thing we focus on more. But have you ever noticed how easy it is to get swept up in that negative and complaining when you're in a group? Someone will start talking about their day and mentioning, oh, this really bad thing happened. And then someone else will jump in and say, oh, yeah, I experienced something along this line. And then all of a sudden, the conversation of the whole group is grumbling and complaining. It's really easy to get caught up in these things. We have a bias towards that. So it takes intentionality not to grumble and complain. It's easy to perpetuate it. Paul says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Sorry, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So remember when we were, a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Philippians chapter 1, Paul shared with these guys that he was in prison. Now here is a perfect example of Paul writing and living out exactly what he's writing about. He had so many negative things happen to him in his life as he followed the path of Jesus. He had the right to complain, and yet he doesn't. He says that he was beaten in chains and probably starving, but he still doesn't complain. He could have written about it, but he says in Philippians chapter 1, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, he says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Now, when he's writing this, he's not grumbling. He's sharing the point that, you know, this stuff happened, but look what happened out of it. People were hearing about Jesus. The whole palace guard knew about Jesus, and Jesus' news was spreading wider. Paul is at the point in his life where he's excited to live that clean and innocent life and shine like Jesus. Now, can you say that about your life? Can I say that about my life? Do you desire to have that same attitude as Paul? Now, God doesn't expect us to understand his ways. His ways are definitely bigger than us. It's okay to bring our questions, our hurts, our desires to him. 
But when we grumble and complain, it takes our eyes off Jesus and it focuses on the complaint. It focuses on the criticism and opens us up to that. There are always hard and difficult things we will face. There is always conflict that happens. It is part of life. This is the broken world we live in. Conflict is part of life. But we can change the narrative on it. We perpetuate it by grumbling or complaining. Or we can actually come to conflict and hard things with the willingness to learn. What is God showing me through this? How can I grow through this? How can I partner with people to solve this issue and this problem? With grace and love. Uh, There's a lady called Dr. Carolyn Leaf. She's a Christian neuropsychologist. And she has this amazing quote, which I want to share with you today. She says, in situations of conflict and grumbling and conflict management, she says, it is incredibly important to remember that in any argument, it's not you against the other person. Rather, it's you and the other person against the issue. Separate the human from the problem. Now, if we do this, if we work together constructively when hard things come our way, it takes the grumbling and complaining out of it. And this links in with the unity that Jeff talked about last week in the start of chapter 2, where Paul says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Imagine if we were able to do this as Christians. Now, Paul's building on principle after principle here, and it was really impactive to the church then, but it's so impactive for us today. It transforms the way we handle conflict. It transforms the way we see hard things. It's not us against people. It's us together against the problem. Now, we can behave differently because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. It's not about ignoring or denying these hard things and hard times that come our way, but it's about living differently to the world. So we will shine bright as we do that transformation work of Jesus. Do everything without complaining and grumbling so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So do the work of salvation. Allow God to transform and grow you. Work with him, partner with him. Do it without complaining, arguing, grumbling. And Paul says that when we do it, we will shine like bright lights. I want to read that um, quote from Dr. Carolyn Leaf again because I love it. And I think it's so incredibly transformative to the way we approach hard things and conflict. She says, It is incredibly important to remember that in any argument, it is not you against the other person. Rather, it's you and the other person against the issue. So separate the human from the problem. So changing our thinking and our habits is going to take intentionality because it's really easy to revert back to what we've always done when it comes to difficult and hard things. We can't change our family, our friends, we can't change the world, but we can change ourselves. And when we are unified, when we are working together, we can be different to the world. Us together in unity against the problem. Don't go back to your old ways, to your old habits. It's more important now than ever. We have Jesus living in us to do that work of salvation 
and I get to partner with him. You get to partner with him and it's exciting to see where he's going to lead us. So what is the transformation work that Jesus is inviting you into today? Transforming the way you think? Transforming the way you grumble and complain? Is it transforming the way you handle conflict and hard things? Is it transforming the way you cope with difficulty and suffering in life? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much that we get to partner with you. That it is exciting that as we sit in your presence that we can hear your voice, that you are moving and working in us. And I pray this week that as we maybe even make those small mental attitude shifts, that we can see that this is a privilege to partner with you. This is a privilege to hear from you. This is a privilege to just to sit with you and to grow our relationship and allow you to transform us. Jesus, I get to be your child. Lord, I pray that as we come to hard things, that um, you'll give us the grace and the understanding to do that without grumbling or complaining, that we can see that it's not us against the other person, that we can work together in unity. I pray that you'll transform our lives in that way, that we will shine like bright lights for you, Jesus. In your most holy name, amen.